Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I have got my partner in crime, so to speak, Darcy. I can't prove it. How's it going, Darcy? I can't prove it. (laughs) I plead the fifth. You have nothing. We are here with a mini episode this evening. We are going to talk about a related case to the case that we posted earlier this week on Israel Keys and Samuel Little and we promised we would provide a little bit more detail on Chevy Kehoe or Kehoe I don't know how people choose to pronounce it. I don't think there's a huge difference in the pronunciation there in any case he is a fucking killer so it's a fucking I don't really think it matters all that much um Chevy Keogh was born January 29th, 1973, so he was a little bit of my generation, and I'm, I'm cringing when I'm looking at the pictures of him. Did you see the pictures of this guy? A lot of forehead on this one. Um, <laughs> like, primarily just, like, <laughs> everything above the eyebrows just, like, keeps going. Imagine, like, that, that birth, and they're like, what the fuck? Where's the rest of him? Got a fucking huge head and it could literally like go into orbit on its own if given the opportunity it's just that big. like if it were a cartoon so, it would be one of those where he was like an evil genius that had a really big brain right like dexter but it's not a card like, yeah yeah, yeah. but it's head. not a cartoon and the cartoon, he just... the cartoon dexter's lab so evidently this particular gentleman was an influence a family friend someone that grew up with Israel Keys. And we use the term gentleman gentleman loosely. Yes. (laughs) These two were roughly the same age, I think, um, within a couple of years of each other. And they were both sort of into the whole white supremacist, supremacist movement. This gentleman slash dude was born in Orange Port. Okay, I'm stopping. (laughs) Starting over. (laughs) He was born in pork. He was born in orange pork. (laughs) Okay, I've had half a bottle of champagne at this point, so my words are not coming out in a manner that I necessarily want them to. But in any case, Chevy O'Brien Kehoe. O'Brien. Look at the Irish. His middle name is (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien. He was born in Orange Park. Strong Aryan name. Right? Absolutely. He was the oldest of eight sons born to Kirby and Gloria. That's, ter- that's too many kids. Gloria. That's too many kids. Right? And he was named after his father's favorite brand of automobile, the Chevrolet. But they couldn't spell it right. Right? His name is spelled C-H-E-V-I-E, and Chevy is obviously C-H-E-V-Y. It's so Chevy, but with a twist. They wanted to make it sound more French, maybe? Like, that's super fucking Florida, is what it is. I don't even know. But it's his got father, panhandle written all over right? it. Right? It's disgusting. I just want to punch him in the face right now. But his father served in the Navy during the Vietnam War. Mm, surprise, surprise. When Kehoe was an infant, his father moved to, the, moved to the family to Madison County, North Carolina. They're all over the South. Mm-hmm. In 1985, he moved the family again, this time to Deep Lake in Stevens County, Washington. As we discussed earlier, this particular area in Washington State is very rural. It's a gorgeous area with lots of trees and forest and very isolated. 
but also known to be an area that is very friendly and seems to be sort of a gathering spot for white supremacists and the white supremacy movement. And it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing because a lot of the people that are in this Christian separatist, white supremacist, sovereign citizen movement are drawn to the area because it is very rural and isolated and they don't want any involvement from government. They basically only believe that like local government is the only part of government that should exist and that they are responsible to and sometimes not even then. So basically, I just imagine them with a big kind of wad of chew in the lip and them being like, I do what I want. Uh Yeah, I don't answer to you. I do what I want. Uh, Anyway, Keo entered Colville Junior High School as a ninth grader in 1987. Junior high. I thought ninth grade was like freshman in high school. Uh, It depends on where you are. Because I know there's a a local high school here that still considers ninth grade. Um middle school or junior high well when i went to school ninth grade it was junior high school seventh eighth ninth was junior high elementary was kindergarten through sixth and high school was 10th really yeah but in any case i think that's common with a lot of smaller towns in washington state because that's what my i went to a small town high school in the little town of snohomish so that's that's how we did it. But that I know for a fact from speaking to so many different people that that is not a common way that it's usually done. But yeah, you're anyway, weird. right? He was an honor student, so clearly he was bright. I mean, so he, he did have a big brain. Yeah, he wasn't dumb. And that noggin stretch of the imagination. He just chose to be hard headed and ignorant in his ideologies, evidently. And then it says here, coincidentally, future serial killer Israel Keys was a family friend. <laughs> coincidentally, <laughs> what a, a wild coincidence in that there, is. Right? All of them, all the craziness, all the crazies, all the psychotic tendencies were concentrated in this one little area, evidently. But in 1988, his parents pulled him and his younger brother Shane, or Cheyenne. I do think it's Shane, but it's spelled C-H-E-Y-N-E. And... How the fuck does that follow after a brand of automobile? You don't know about the Dodge chain? Is that a thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> I couldn't even like come up with the uh, like, no. the Daewoo chain. You don't know about so that So evidently it was just Chevy that was named after the favorite automobile brand, not the rest of the That was the, the only siblings. kind of car they could think of. They ran Absolutely. out of cars after that. But these two were pulled, both uh, his uh, Chevy and his brother were pulled out of public school and then homeschooled, which also seems to be another trend that is very popular with white supremacists. They just don't feel like the school system as it stands is sufficient to educate their wildly intelligent. (laughs) Well, they do things like teach, you know, evolution and equality and that slavery was a mistake and a blight on our country. And that just can't stand. And they just feel like it's so much more important to discuss and to teach kids gun control or gun target shooting and impregnating women, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being overly judgmental. No, that sounds about right. In any case. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like you covered the whole curriculum. Chevy and his brother were raised with increasingly extreme anti-government and white supremacist beliefs from his family. And the Kehoe family in general, I think, was sort of gathered around this ambitious plan to bring down the United States government with their sort of self-styled Aryan People's Republic 
thing. Which, have you ever noticed and that it's never the democratic countries that are called the People's Republic? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's always, you know, China, North Korea, the Aryan People's Republic. So they were sort of espousing this, like, grand theory of Aryan people controlling the world and maybe a second coming of Nazism, sort of a, a, a thing. They were only 20 years too early. Right. To attract recruits, Keo embarked upon a series of firearms and property crimes that would eventually lead him from his home in eastern Washington to Arkansas as he followed gun show events. So, interesting, right? Firearm and property crimes are going to recruit you more people for your Aryan Brotherhood? I don't quite understand that. Well, I, cannot- I think it's more like I, sh- I should be allowed to take this from you. Because the government, I don't know. I don't know. I try, I tried to get there. I to me, get there. it seems more like he's embarking on a Jesse James sort of ideology where he's garnering the attention for these fabulous crimes and for the commission of crimes in sort of an outlaw Jesse James yeah. kind of way where he looks like a badass and people believe in him. And he's also at the same time going to gun show events where he's espousing his theories that white people should be running the world or whatever. But he ended up marrying a young woman named Karina Gum, and the couple had three children together. Kehoe married a second wife then, because one is never enough for these folks, evidently. So he was a polygamist as well? Angie Settle. Absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. So he did all this near Hayden Lake, Idaho, and this was on or around July 9th, 1993. This is about when I was in high school. Hayden Lake, not Hyde Lake. That's what I was trying to think of. That's the white supremacy um, gathering that is shut down now. But not only was he into white supremacy, but he was all like, hey, let's have as many wives as possible because that's the way we should do this. If I'm going to, like, further the Aryan Brotherhood, then I need to impregnate as many available white supremacist women as I can to further the blonde-haired, blue-eyed portions of the race. Cool. kind of gross. And then, evidently, he has another partner since 2009 by the name of Alexis DeLuca. So, he's got quite a few women that he's kind of wrapped around his proverbial little finger as he's sort of manipulating them into furthering his ideology. I don't know. With that huge head and that. (laughs) That's not, he's not cute. I'm telling you, we're going to post some pictures. He's just not a very attractive person. Like imagine, um, what's his ass from American History X? Edward Norton. Um, Imagine Edward Norton from American History X, like the skinhead look. But then, like, make his the top of his head like three times bigger, and give him a mullet. No, he's bald now. Yeah, but like the pictures I saw, he had kind of like a mullet. Oh, even better. He had like a sweet mullet. So clearly, he met these ladies when he had that sweet mullet. I'm sorry, there's no such thing as a sweet mullet. <laughs> That's an oxymoron, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, in February 1995, shortly after he got the whole polygamy thing going on with his all of his ladies, Keogh and his father robbed the Tilly, Arkansas home of William Frederick Muller, who was a gun dealer who had a large collection of weapons, ammunition, and cash. So, basically, they were like, hey, this dude has a shit ton of stuff that will further our ideology. We need to go steal all this so that we can become this massive uncontrolled 
force to be reckoned with. And if we rob this guy of all of his guns, cash, and ammunitions, then we will become that force. Well, and what I understand about this is that this this whole ideology is all about, you know, raising up arms against the government. That's why they need to collect firearms, and that's why they need to go to gun shows, and that's why they need to do all of this, and Second Amendment till I die, and rah, rah, rah. Right. Yet, they will still put on their rinky-dink-ass pickup trucks from 1982 the bullshit of if you don't support our troops feel free to stand in front of them you can't have it both ways who do you think is going to come after you in this armageddon that you have to take up arms against the government the same troops that you want to stand behind sorry yeah it just it makes no sense it never has to me but anyway in june 1995 keo and an accomplice Kidnapped and robbed Malcolm and Jill Friedman, a couple believed to be Jewish who owned a store in which Keo was once employed. So I'm not sure if them being Jewish had stuff to do with it or it was just he had been employed by them at one point and figured he needed revenge or if they needed the supplies or what was exactly going on with that type of situation. Based on his history, it sounds like it came into play at least a little bit. Possibly. And then in January 1996, Keo and another accomplice... Daniel Lewis Lee returned to the home of Mueller, the gentleman they had robbed for the weapons, ammunition, and cash. At that period in time, Keo and Lee murdered Mueller, his wife Nancy, and his eight-year-old stepdaughter Sarah Elizabeth Powell and dumped their bodies in a swamp. Jeez. At that point, Keo and his family took the stolen property, guns, ammunition, and cash, to a motel in Spokane, Washington by way of the Christian identity community of Elohim City, Oklahoma. Elohim City, Oklahoma, yeah. Do you know of that place? I know Spokane yeah. is a very is in eastern Washington and it is a very interesting city. Well, Hayden, Hayden Lake but, was like it was set up as a white supremacy haven and I don't believe it is functional anymore, but Elohim City absolutely is still. It's in Oklahoma. It is a white supremacy, white separatist town, basically. It's interesting because the word Elohim or Elohim, however you want to say it, is like a Christian word that is often used within sort of evangelistic Christian communities. So it's interesting that they named this city after that. And they're very closely linked because the whole thing about Christian separatists and, and white supremacy, they, ha- they share the same similar Christian, Christian ideology in that they believe that Adam and Eve were white, that Jesus was white, and that the Jews are essentially like mud people. They have this whole crazy interpretation of the New Testament that basically they they literally think that God told them that anybody other than white people are like are created from sin. Like that's what they believe, and that's why they think they need to be separate. And so that's what this whole like supremacy separatist. Right, but I mean, it's definitely from. an offshoot of the the Christian evangelistic community, though, because my mother is a member of the Christian evangelistic community, and they actually have a lot of Jewish ceremonies, a lot of Jewish holidays, and things that they combine with their own religious theories. And there is right. no necessarily belief that Jesus was white. In fact, m- many of them believe that because he came from the Middle East that it's likely that his skin was brown. He may not have been black, but it is very likely that his skin was brown and he would have had more Middle Eastern type features. Yeah. So, it's definitely an offshoot right. of that. And, and it's not it's not based in Christianity. Right. Like it's not it's not just a simple offshoot. It is a twisted version of 
Christian but I think ideology. it's much in the same way that Mormon, the Mormon Church, has offshoots that go that veer off far yep. into the polygamous territory and and espouse very different religion than the the majority of the Mormon Church. Yes, yeah, they're very similar. This this Christian identity organization and ideology they tend to be a lot more violent, though. Yes, absolutely. They espouse almost yeah. like a terroristic type methodology but and i just to throw it out there timothy mcveigh was part of this christian identity movement absolutely and we'll kind of get into that later because there are some offshoots and theories of chevy keogh's involvement in the oklahoma city bombing but we got we got to do an episode on that as a practical measure moving on to the next item in this timeline February 15th, 1997, Keogh and his brother Shane were involved in a shootout with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. And this was widely televised. I do remember seeing mm-hmm. the, the TV coverage of this when it happened. But this happened in Wilmington, Ohio. So God knows how they ended up going from Spokane, Washington into Ohio and just sort of this reign of terror that they sort of brought across the country. But the highway patrol trooper had stopped their vehicle, which was a blue Chevy Suburban for driving too slowly and erratically on the road and found the license plate and registration had expired. Mm -hmm. The brothers also failed to produce any driver's licenses. And that's part of that sovereign citizen movement is they don't keep ID because that's a way for the government to keep track of them. Track them. Yeah essentially. And they were like, fuck you. I don't have to do that. But anyway, Chevy Keogh, the driver complied with the officer's orders to get out of the car, but warned him against touching him when he tried to search Keogh. Mm-hmm. The deputy noticed the trouble the state trooper was having with Chevy and stopped to help. So a deputy that just happened to have been driving by, he probably heard it on the radio that there was a stop and it was somewhat complicated and was like, Hey, I'm going to go provide some backup. As one of the officers called for a tow truck to impound the vehicle, Shane produced a handgun from his passenger seat and opened fire on the officers. Jeez. This allowed Chevy to jump back into the Suburban and escape. Shane then ran into nearby woods where police searched unsuccessfully for him for the whole day. So clearly this guy was sort of trained and well-versed at Mm -hmm. sort of hiding out and getting into the the backwoods sort of mentality so he just disappeared into the nearby woods very very successfully the shootout though was recorded on the trooper's dashboard camera in his patrol vehicle and was widely broadcast at the time so if you were young or middle-aged or anything during that time and watching the news you would have seen the footage of the shootout which was aired on fox's world's scariest police shootouts in 1997 i remember that show (laughs) it was then shown on other tv programs like most shocking police pursuits world's most amazing videos and under fire so this just sort of became a viral sensation of its time and Mm -hmm. then After fleeing from police, Chevy and Shane traveled secretly with their families through different states before eventually settling in a ranch in Utah. They worked for a local rancher at that time, but disputes between the brothers over Chevy's extremist ideology grew bitter and eventually violent. Ultimately, Shane left, taking his family with him. He subsequently surrendered to local police and directed them and the FBI back to the Utah ranch where Chevy Keogh was arrested June 17, 1997. 
So I'm not necessarily so sure that Chevy would have been caught anytime soon had it not been for his brother sort of ratting him out. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. And it sounds like whatever they were doing in Utah, they had linked up with people who were of the similar ideology where they were not going to turn them into the government. They were willing, ready, and able to hide him yeah. and his family indefinitely. And they seemed to have the, the money, the funds, the weapons to be able to do that. But after Keo was taken into custody, he was charged with racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations, murdering in aid of racketeering, and robbery conspiracy. Hmm. Keo denies all of these criminal accusations and has since filed appeals, which have all been denied up until this point. On February 20th, 1998, Keo pled guilty in Ohio State to felonious assault, attempted murder, and carrying a concealed weapon related to a February 1997 shootout with the Ohio State Trooper, as I mentioned earlier, and a Clinton County Sheriff's deputy during a traffic stop resulting from expired tags in his 1977 Chevrolet. And now, nobody... Nobody was hurt in the shootout, right? Like, they, no police officers no. were injured, correct? No. Okay. So it was just, you know, horrifying that at that time it was not as common for somebody, a citizen, to open fire on a police officer mm-hmm. at that time. Now it seems like you hear about it all the time. Yeah. But back then I remember it just being particularly alarming that some guy, for no apparent reason, because I think when it came out in the news, no one really knew who he was. Yeah. They didn't know the background. They didn't know the history. They didn't know who this guy was. It was all pretty much under the vest at that point. But in 1999, Keo was convicted in federal court of the January 1996 murders of gun dealer William Mueller and his wife Nancy, as well as their eight-year-old daughter Sarah Powell. So that was quite a while before they actually caught and convicted. I mean, not tremendously long period of time, but a little while. Yeah. He received three sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole for those murders. Keo's mother, Gloria, and her and his younger brother, Shane, served as prosecution witnesses and testified against him at the trial. However, they both kept the secret until he got caught. Yeah. They weren't willing to do anything about it while he was actually harming people. But once he got caught, they were willing to testify against them. Then they're like, oh, shit, we're going to like we're going to cut a deal so that we don't have to spend time in jail. Obviously, they got offered a sweet little deal so they wouldn't have to spend time in jail in order for them to testify against their guy. So Daniel Lewis Lee was also convicted for his role in the Mueller murders and was sentenced to death. Oh, wow. So it's interesting that that, uh, Chevy only got life in prison. This other gentleman was actually had the death sentence on the Mm. table. Shane Keough served a 24-year prison sentence for attempted murder and weapons possessions due to his role in the Ohio shootout. So he did spend a little bit of time in prison. So I'm actually looking on the um, Southern Poverty Law Center's website. They have a thing called the Hate Watch, which... You should just go read it. It's very fascinating. But they have a a site about the Kehoes. And this actually says that I think it's because Shane ended up testifying against Chevy and cooperating with authorities that his sentence was later reduced to 11 years. And he was actually released in 2008. Yeah. I knew he would be because he would cut some sort of a deal. But the interesting part of this particular case, besides just his connection to Israel Keyes and sort of assisting Israel Keys with his ideologies along the way is the connection to the Oklahoma City bombing. 
Mm-hmm. Keo has been accused by his brother Shane and a Spokane motel manager of being involved in and having prior knowledge of the Oklahoma City bombing, which occurred April 19, 1995. Shane claimed to have knowledge of Chevy's involvement in the bombing shortly after he was sentenced for his role in the shootout. The manager of the Shadow Motel in Spokane, Washington, claimed to have seen Chevy with convicted bomber Timothy McVeigh at the hotel four to six months prior to the bombing. Hmm. The manager also claimed that on the morning of the bombing, Chevy showed up at the motel and asked him to put on CNN because news of the bombing had appeared by then, and he was really, really excited. And the manager also claimed that Chevy had told him that days prior to this bombing happening that something big was going to happen on April 19th. Keogh obviously denied these allegations, and the FBI found no evidence that McVeigh had ever traveled to Spokane, but... I can believe this because I honestly do not believe that McVeigh came up with all of that and, and did the whole plan and, and did all of that on his own. I think somebody else had to have been. Involved. Well, he did. He did it. And, um, they, they did convict somebody else with him, um, who is currently serving a federal life sentence at what's that maximum security prison in Colorado. Colorado Supermax. Yeah. The Supermax Terry Nichols. So Terry Nichols has already been convicted, and uh, another person named Michael Fortier was also been has sh- been shown to be involved. But Tim McVeigh's defense attorney has has written an article. I actually pulled it a couple years back when I was doing some criminal justice work for my my masters that I wanted to do. But um, his lawyer published an article where he says that he does not believe these are the only people that were involved. He believes there was a vast network. Absolutely. I yeah. agree. Absolutely agree. With these white supremacists and these Aryan Brotherhood and these people that are espousing the theories they're espousing, it's typically not an isolated incident. There's typically not one or two individuals involved. It is typically a network of people that espouse the same beliefs and are all sort of supporting the same ideology and the same result. And it leads to these violent activities that sort of surge forward mm-hmm. like Waco, like the Oklahoma City bombing, like these various and events that have happened. I don't necessarily say that I 100% believe Chevy was involved, but I definitely think there was a ring of people that were involved and that Chevy either knew about it, supported it, or directly participated in the planning of that event. Yeah, and I don't necessarily, I mean, even if Tim McVeigh never went to Spokane, there, he has been linked to Elohim City. And we know Chevy Kehoe has been to Oklahoma, to Elohim City, and just just not we're not going to get into it because it would take three days to cover this whole thing. But the Waco siege did end on April nineteenth, nineteen ninety three, which was two years to the day before the Oklahoma City bombing. And these so there's a whole and, series of events that are connected to that day. Well, and Tim McVeigh was in Waco. He was they had all these cars that were lined up outside the compound, and he was sell, you know every there were a bunch of people there selling anti-government T-shirts, bumper stickers, blah blah blah. Tim McVeigh was there. There's footage of him there selling stuff. He's sitting on the truck of his car, and Waco wasn't part of this whole Christian identity separatist, but it was a trigger point for government overreach. And it followed Ruby Ridge, and then there was Oklahoma City, and it, there's this whole link of all of these things and this thread that, that for all of these things, um, 
that well, it's part of the network. Yes, of these people that are in this community that support one another, that are anti-government. That the activities, yeah, the activities that they espouse and support, they believe that 100 that they are supporting a community that is for their own benefit. Exactly. And so any sorts of events that come through, they will either contribute money or weapons or their emotional support or whatever. But I think in some fashion, way, shape, or form, Chevy was involved with the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, he, he I, I probably bare men's had advanced knowledge about knowledge it. Knowledge that it was going to happen, yeah. And I think that there is a vast underground network that knows when these things are mm-hmm. being planned. Yeah. And just, again, from the SPLC website, um, as of 2013, Kirby and Shane Kehoe had both been arrested on weapons charges in Arizona. So they haven't exactly stayed out of trouble with themselves. So delightful. Those two little gems of, <laughs> of yeah. Keo manhood are now back in trouble with the law and quite possibly in jail already, if not awaiting further prosecution yeah. for their beliefs. And I think some of those guys, when they get sent to prison for guns charges or whatever else they may be sent to prison for, it just makes them even more bitter. And there are so many like Aryan Brotherhood gangs in jails now that I'm well, sure they, just... The Aryan Brotherhood started in prison. Helps support their beliefs even more and cement mm-hmm. their ideology even further when they go into prison. It doesn't reform them. It doesn't... It just puts them around more like-minded people in a closer, confined environment. And makes them even more bitter and willing to do Mm -hmm. crazy shit when they get out of jail. So I And they have nothing else to do but work out. (laughs) Yeah, get buff and plan their revenge when they do get out. So it's a dangerous sort of powder keg that is just waiting to explode. And, and, And I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what the solution is to that. Because you clearly can't let them be and be on their own. Because they're doing things that are against the law and they're seeking to seeking actively to throw the government over and to pull the government down. But at the same time, you put them in prison. It's not fixing the problem either. So I just I don't know what the solution is to this. And there doesn't seem to be an educational reform option either. No, you have to like you have to find a way to separate people from the people that they learn this ideology from. And if you can get them to think for themselves and get away from groupthink, that would be the only chance. But it's so hard to separate these people from their their tribe, you know? Yeah. Or literally I, it, their clan. Difficult, if not impossible, to do that. Yeah. So, anyway... Uh, we're going to wrap up the episode for the day. This is clearly just a mini episode. Social media? We are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So go give us a follow. And please send us emails. We love, love, love getting your emails. So if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send us an email to the BFD podcast at gmail.com. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.